Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. So like we said this morning, we're going to be working just through these two verses. And what we're going to focus on is the difference between God's standards and man's standards. So the standards that God has and uses to assess the value of our deeds, our actions, our motives are different than the standards that the world uses to assess and value the same. What Luke shows us in this text is this clash of standards. So if you've ever been in a situation where you had certain expectations of the way things should or would go, and you went up against someone else who had their own standards, you were both working off of different rule books, rule books for life in a sense, then you know what this clashing of opposed standards, you know that it can be eventful. So I think I've said before that I used to clean carpets for many years. I was a carpet cleaner. I drove around in a van. Some of the homes that called us for, for professional cleaning services really didn't need it. They had a really high standard of cleanliness. In those houses, I really wouldn't have to do much. I'd wet the carpet a little, make them feel good about paying for the services. But there were times where I really did have to work hard for the money. These were houses that had really low standards of cleanliness. Now, there was one house in particular I'm going to tell you about that scarred me as a young man, and I've never been able to unlive this experience. So forgive me a little drama this morning. It was a bright and sunny day in remote New Hampshire. But when I pulled into the driveway, the, the world got dark and dreary. So I knew something was up. I pulled into the driveway, and there's a whole bunch of house cleaners with the company in the driveway. And I pull up. I'm on the carpet side. They were on the house cleaning side. They got there first. And I pull up, and one of the girls says to me, you don't understand. We can't go in there. So I'm like, OK. But because of the dark presence around the house, I unsheath my sword. I go into the house. I'm obviously the good guy in the story. When I walked through the front door, the smell almost killed me. Now, I'll bet you can guess. What type of animal did this house have 10,000 of? Cats. See, everyone already knows. If you're a cat owner, this is not about you. We know that not all cat owners are created equal. This was very abnormal. This was TV status situation. So I fight through the smell. I get into the house. And what was really going on was worse than the smell. So not only were cats a major part of this house's ecosystem, they were allowed to go to the bathroom wherever they wanted for a very long period of time. Every single room, multiple you-know-whatsies. So I go in, I find the owner of the house, a very old lady sitting in a recliner in the living room. And by the time I get to her, she's already really mad that the house cleaners won't come into the house. And she had already called the owner, yelling at him. So tensions are already high. I get in, I say, ma'am, I'm sorry, but we can't clean your house. She absolutely lost her mind on me. She lost it. I tried to explain, but there was going to be no middle ground between us. I had cleaned wild stuff before. This house was on a different scale life-threatening scenario, potentially, for the cleaners of this house. 
Not long after, I'm on a different mission, carpet cleaning, and I drive by the house, and the house was condemned. Literally, yellow tape across the front, quarantined by the local authorities. Now, how is that supposed to help us with this morning's text? In Luke 16, we see this kind of a story play out in less dramatic fashion. On one side, we have Jesus being ridiculed because of the standards he keeps. And on on the other side, we have Jesus explaining that the standards that the world keeps are actually an abomination to God. So the cat lady and myself, hopefully most of you, had different standards by which we judged normal living, right? If normal people live on normal world and vacuums are run and and pets go to the bathroom outside or at least in a designated area, the cat lady had a completely different planet where opposite things transpired regularly. And this is one way to understand our verses today. We have God in the flesh, Jesus. He comes into our house with his carpet cleaning machine And when he comes in, he finds that our house is a disaster. We don't like that he doesn't like our living standards because we find them comfortable enough. We don't see what he sees. And because we don't see the things the way that he sees them, we often reject him for it. But he's telling us that our living standard is an abomination. And because of this, our house is going to be condemned. So this is what's going on in the verses. And we're going we're gonna to look at this first verse on your screen. This is verse 14. We've read this out loud. And we see that Jesus is ridiculed because of the standard that he teaches. So you see here this word Pharisee. By now in our preaching in Luke, we have a good idea of who the Pharisees are. They are the religious rulers, the elite. They have the social status. They have the respect, the admiration. In the eyes of everyone else, they are the favorite of God. And what Luke says is that they love money. So in the text, this loving of money is the connection to the ridicule, right? The love of money caused the ridicule. Now, for our purposes this morning, I'm not going to talk about money. Money is simply highlighting the difference between man's standards and God's standards for us. But what I do want to do is provide a little context for the ridicule. And our verses come right after Jesus' words of you cannot serve God and money. That's what Jesus says right before this verse. So that's the context for the ridicule. And another way to say it is that you cannot have heavenly security by living for worldly security. What is happening is the Pharisees are holding very high standards of worldly blessing of world-based status, of world-based security. And money is the vehicle that can attain these things. Now, Jesus shows up, and he introduces a very different way of seeing the world. He introduces a new standard. Jesus is telling them to hold to a high standard of heavenly blessing, of heavenly-based status, of security in God, regardless of the money. Now, these are different standards to live by and they're opposite approaches to life. So the Pharisees line up what Jesus says, they line it up against their own standards, and because it doesn't line up, they reject Jesus. They ridicule, they dismiss. That's what the text is saying. To tell you how this works, I don't know if you know this, but Italians really like meatballs. Italians love their meatballs and their sauce. 
If it's stereotyping, it's fine. It's fine if it's true, and this is true. If someone walked into my house growing up, when all the Italians were in the kitchen rolling their R's and speaking an Italian accent, even though they grew up in the Merrimack Valley their entire life, if someone walked into my house at that time and they said that they were Italian, a plate of meatballs and sauce would have promptly been put in front of them. And if at that time they responded with, oh, no, thank you, I'm vegan, we probably wouldn't have kicked them out of the house. That would have been too far. But we certainly would have made them publicly recant this idea that they were Italian. Because you can't be Italian and not eat meatballs. So did you see what I did there? My household standard for an Italian is eating of meatballs. I don't care if you just took a boat over from Italy, use your hands when you talk. If you don't eat meatballs in the McCann household, ignore the name, then you are not Italian. This is how standards, specific standards, of the way things should be cause ridicule and rejection, right? If my standard is unbending and focused on the wrong thing, such as Italians, loving meatballs being their identity rather than things like Italy and DNA, then I will dismiss them as a real Italian for all the wrong reasons. This happens to Jesus. The Pharisees are like meatball judges, and Jesus sits down and says that heaven's full of vegans. Don't take that illustration too far. You're not going to find veganism in the Bible. All right? doesn't exist. Jesus comes in with a completely different standard of what it means to be godly. And because it's so foreign, because it's so wrong compared to their own standard, they ridicule, they reject him, they dismiss him. Now, this is detrimental, right? This is a major aspect of the Christian message, this rejection of Jesus being a life-threatening decision. And it's, very, it's a very unpopular message in our culture. Have you ever heard someone say, don't yuck my yum? It's a, it's a nice little quip, right? If I'm eating spicy pickled eggs, which is a recent regular occurrence, don't wrinkle your nose and tell me it's gross. People have been yucking my yum lately. Yucking someone's yum is to measure someone else's taste buds by your own and then ridicule them for their taste standards. Right now, it's great and it's fun to make fun of each other for things like taste preferences in the grand scheme of things that doesn't really matter. But in our postmodern context, right, we want don't yuck my yum to apply to standards of truth. Right? We want truth to be individually derived. We want our truth to be based on our mind, our heart, our soul, and the standards that we live by and are valued, we determine those things. I get to decide the standards by which I live my life. Don't yuck my yum. Now, this is man's clash with God. This is the clash of standards we're talking about. And the Pharisees are displaying for us the same rules that apply today. Either we as individuals are the standard by which truth is judged, or Jesus is the standard by which truth is judged. So now we continue on to verse 15, and we ask, what does mankind look to to assess what is good and true? And what does man look at to assess what is good and right and true and valued? How do these things differ with God and man? Jesus says, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. 
My favorite scene in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is when Chevy Chase cuts into the massive turkey on the table for family dinner. Huge turkey, gold, looking beautiful. Everyone's licking their lips, eager with anticipation. And when Clark cuts open the turkey, what happens? Exasperated noise just pops open and a puff of dust comes out. The turkey inside is meatless. It's dry. It's junk. The outside looks so good. The inside is dried and rotten. No scene in all of cinematography has ever better explained the difference between what mankind sees and values and what God sees. Right? The standard by which mankind judges is the outside of the turkey. But God judges it by the inside. Jesus is inviting the Pharisees, and he's inviting us today to adopt a different standard. And it's this word in the text, heart. It's heart that matters to God. So what is it that makes a heart that is right, with, that, is right that God would judge as right and worthy? If the heart is the turkey, we want the inside to be tasty. Now remember the cause for Jesus' ridicule, right? He exposed a difference in standard by saying, you can't serve God and money. And that's another way of saying what he said in Luke 10 when he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. This is the standard that God expects us to keep. God expects us to love him with all of our heart. Love for God is the standard that God values. Now for the Pharisees, the standard is the outside that they can protect in front of man's appearances, right? If they have religious position, they must be of grand honor. If they have synagogue seats, they must be of great wisdom. If their robes are white, they must be really pure. If their prayers are long, they must be really holy. All the things that you can see on the outside look great. And if the outside is great, then all is well. We do the same thing. If we have high-paying jobs, then we must be really valuable. If our kids are smart and well-behaved, then we must be really good parents. If we eat spicy pickled eggs, we must be really fun and unique. Some of these things are true. We strive to hold standards that make the outside that people can see look good. But what this text is telling us is that God actually sees through that to the heart. Now, I know that we have some middle schoolers in here, so this one is for you, okay? When I was 12 years old in the seventh grade, I was a great kid on the outside. I had it all going for me. On the outside, I looked great. But in the inside, I had something else going on. And when I was exposed, my fall was very great. I was at school, and a friend of mine taught me that if you go into the bathroom, and you take the bathroom paper towels, and you fold them into squares, and you wet them under the sink, you can flick them, and they will stick to the sides of the wall. So what we were doing was we would raise our hands at the same time, and we would go to the bathroom together, and we would do this, and we would just flick them all, and we'd plaster the whole side of the wall. Hilarious. So much fun. Well, what happened is he got found out. And this is 1997, and we were both 12, and so he didn't understand the concept of snitches get stitches. <laughs> the principal came to my class, pulls me out, brings me to his office, and he looks at me and he says, Matthew, did you throw paper towels against the wall? 
and I looked at him. And all of a sudden, the waters of confession came, and I cried. And I got a principal's detention. And I needed to bring home a note to my mom that said I got a principal's detention and that it was extra long, and she needed to come and pick me up. What a scandal it was. I was a good kid on the outside, but my heart was full of corruption and bathroom vandalism. And eventually, I got found out. Jesus trying to explain to the Pharisees that even if you can get everyone else to think that you're great, if you don't adopt God's standard of loving him above everything else, your heart is wrong and God knows your heart. Eventually, you get pulled out of the classroom and the principal is going to give you detention. So the question becomes, okay, God sees my heart. I don't hold to all of God's standards all the time is it really that bad, right? Maybe it doesn't need to be this clash of standards. Maybe I can do my thing and he can do his thing and maybe it's not all that different. Maybe the two can coexist together. Now what Jesus does here in this next verse is he makes it very clear that there can be no union between man's ways and God's ways. The last verse tells us this. It says, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So what I want to do is I want to deal with this word abomination, right? It's, it's, it's a heavy word. I want us to understand the weight of what is being said here. When the five-year-olds come up from downstairs and they show us the pictures that they colored and it's all out of, out of the lines, we don't tell them this is an abomination. We don't want to crush their, the little ones of our church by holding these harsh, brutal lines in areas where they are just learning and growing, Right? But Jesus isn't using this word to cut down in mankind where we are learning and growing towards closeness to God. He uses this word to wake us up to something that is really wrong and not good. So Jesus, using, Jesus is using this word to show us that holding to a different standard is not simply a difference of opinion. It's actually an abomination. Now, to the first century Jew... To the person listening to this, to Jesus say this, this word abomination has a context. In Matthew 24, 15, if you were to go there, you'd see under there a heading in your Bible that says, the abomination of desolation. Great hardcore band name, by the way. But we don't want to be too irreverent because what Jesus is talking about is certainly an event of destruction. Abomination carries with it this idea of profaning something holy. Now, a couple of hundred years before Jesus, in the time of the Maccabees, the Jewish leaders had this very hard conflict by a Greek, with a Greek king named Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus ordered the end of Jewish worship in Israel. He tried to eradicate the, the worship of Yahweh. Now, but what Antiochus Epiphanes, he didn't just attempt to end it. What he did was he replaced temple sacrificial worship that the Jews were doing to different Greek gods. So to a, to a Jew, to a Hebrew listening to Jesus' word of abomination, it carries with it this idea of a pig which was unclean and not to be in the temple being sacrificed on God's holy altar in Jerusalem in the temple. The idea of something that profane would have repulsed anyone who's listening to Jesus. 
Now, we don't have temples anymore, but we understand what this is, right? In 2008, when the New York Yankees were building their new stadium, a Red Sox fan working at the site took a David Ortiz jersey and he put it into the foundation that they were pouring at Yankee Stadium. Well, loose lips sink good ideas, and he told someone, and the thing snowballed into national news, and all of New York went into a time of mourning, and they dressed in sackcloth and ashes, and they were going around the streets crying. What they ended up doing was holding an excavation ceremony, and they jackhammered out three feet of the foundation to extract this jersey to restore God's blessing to New York. To a Yankees fan, the thought of a David Ortiz jersey being at the very root of their stadium was an absolute abomination. Something holy had been profaned. We know everyone agrees that when something is an abomination, it not only should be ended, it needs to be ended. This is the weight and the force of the way that Jesus is using this word to describe the ways in which God views the things that mankind loves and values. What man exalts and puts high and adores and loves is an abomination to God. And man, we hate this when it comes to God. We are all allowed to have our preferences. We are all allowed to enjoy our tastes. We are all allowed to have our holy things that are not to be profaned. But when it comes to God, we don't allow for him to have the same. He always seems so wrong to the world. But when we say God abominates what man loves, does this mean everything? When a husband loves a wife or a wife loves a husband, when, a, when someone loves their pet and takes care of it well, when a social worker loves helping people, when the Red Cross offers help to people who are in need, are these everyday loves an abomination to God? The answer actually lies in the heart, which is what Jesus is saying. God doesn't look at these things and judge them the way that we would. He looks directly into the heart and he sees the motivation. What is the motivating factor that drives love in a marriage, that drives the love of a social worker for the person that they're helping, that drives the Red Cross to help people? Is the motivation in the heart a supreme love for God or is the love that is there a selfish love that would reject God if only they could have the object and keep the object of their affection? So that's the question. Because it is this standard of the heart that God sees. And Jesus is telling us that our standards are so often opposed to God's. Now we're going to bring this to an end here, bring this to a conclusion. What I want to do is talk about Jeffrey Bezos for a second. Jeff Bezos owns Amazon. In 2018, he wrote a letter to the shareholders at the front end of their SEC filing. And the letter was an explanation, it was a summary of how it was that he saw why they were number one in everything. Number one customer satisfaction, number one employee satisfaction, number one, number one, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, in every single category that a business would want to be dominating, in 2018, probably still today, Amazon was absolutely dominating. And what, what Bezos said in that letter, what he said the secret sauce to their success was, was high standards. He said high standards in every area of the business 
was the thing that was driving the company and its employees to constantly be great in everything that Amazon set out to do, and it was making them highly successful. Here's a quote that I wanted us to focus on. This is what he says, quote, high standards are contagious. Bring a new person onto a high standards team and they'll quickly adapt. The opposite is also true. If low standards prevail, those two will quickly spread. Now think about this in terms of who God is and what God has done. Forgive me one more metaphor. The world is God's business, and in a lot of ways, we unknowingly, his employees, have adopted a really low standard, call it sin. And we have gravitated to it, and we have fed off of one another's low standards to the point where we are simply driving the company out of business. Well, what in the world should God do now? Does he fire ch file chapter 11, file for bankruptcy, fire all the employees, shut it down? That's not what he does. He sends his son, the world's CEO, and he brings us into a new standard, the highest possible standard by which there is, which is love for God. So yes, the standard is love for God, but that is not helpful if it's wrongly understood, right? If we are simply moralists trying to live better lives and be better people, we would say, okay, if the standard is that I need to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my mind, then I need to do that better, and I need to work that really hard so that God will love me and agree in the end that I have met the standard. But no one can meet that standard. That's the rub. If we strive to meet the standard by looking at our own efforts, instead of seeing Jesus as the one who meets the standard on our behalf, we will either only be frustrated and defeated, or worse, proud and delusional. None of us will ever be able to meet this holy standard of God. We just can't meet the standard. But Jesus does. And this is the Christian message of grace for us this morning. God invites us onto his team. He is dragging us into a higher standard of Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus... God gives us a new heart. We get a new inside from which our motivations for God are changed. When this happens, we do actually love God's standards. We stop rejecting Jesus. We submit to him. But it is Jesus who is the one that achieves and meets the standard on our behalf. Christ has fulfilled the demand.